Hey, what's up, y'all? Welcome to Whitlock's Weekly Fire Starters. You know who it is. It's Uncle Jimmy, and let's get going with it. Hey, on Monday's show, Jason explains the huge threat that Elon Musk poses with his Twitter bid and uh, talks about what it, the, the threat that he poses to the establishment. And he also talks about the five bohemoths that are going on in the country right now. We're talking about Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Google. Hey, this is how he's gonna start off this Monday Firestarter. Check it out. Based on the reaction to his bid to buy Twitter, Elon Musk is 100 times more dangerous to the establishment's vision of a new world order than Donald Trump. The response to Musk has been measured and strategic as opposed to emotional and impulsive. The establishment unleashed its gaggle of celebrity pit bulls on the former president. A pack of rabid actors, athletes, broadcasters, comedians, and print journalists gnawed at Trump's ankles for four years, eventually crippling him and turning the 2020 election into a contest of what well-intentioned Americans would do to stop Adolf Hitler 2.0. Nothing they wouldn't do. There's not enough time to reimagine Musk as Hitler 3.0, especially since corporate media prematurely gave that title to Russia's Vladimir Putin. The attack on Musk will be led by Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan Chase, and a team of lawyers all hired by Twitter's board of directors to thwart his proposed $43 billion takeover of the social media app. Stopping Musk's existential threat to globalism will be a game of chess, not checkers. In the technology-driven world we now live in, a matrix designed by Silicon Valley, controlling Twitter is more important than controlling the White House. That's why Twitter's board would rather kill itself than turn the app over to an individual who believes in freedom, free speech, and the U.S. Constitution. The poison pill enacted to stop Musk could easily double as a suicide pill for the board that authorized it. By denying shareholders the right to vote on Musk's proposal, Twitter's board has abdicated its fiduciary responsibility to shareholders. Rather than act in the best interest of shareholders, the board served the interest of political and activist stakeholders. Musk forced Twitter completely out of the closet. The app is hostile to free speech and a partisan tool reserved exclusively for Democrats. Worse, the reaction to Musk's takeover puts an impossible to ignore spotlight on Silicon Valley's control of public discourse and American culture. The Twitter-Musk controversy brings into focus the power, importance, and influence of the five families governing the BLM, LGBTQIA+, Alphabet Mafia. The Alphabet Mafia reports to FANG, F-A-A-N-G. The acronym CNBC host Jim Cramer gave to Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Google. Musk's bid to buy Twitter is an attempt to defang America. Twitter's the hitman for the alphabet mafia. Twitter assassinates reputations with false narratives and unfair allegations of racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, xenophobia. It censors, silences, and diminishes opponents of the Democratic Party. 
If Musk acquires Twitter, he'll have access to the algorithms, tactics, schemes, and correspondence that led to, among other things, Twitter disappearing the Hunter Biden laptop story and the banning of this nation's 45th president from the app. The richest man in the world owning Twitter is far more dangerous than even Donald Trump seated in the Oval Office. Trump could only complain about fake news and its origins. Musk could expose one of the co-conspirators in the alleged shadow government headquartered in Silicon Valley in the Pacific Northwest. The members of FANG do not want one of their soldiers, Twitter, captured and interrogated by Elon Musk. That's way too dangerous of a proposition for a man like Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg, who already faces questions about the more than $400 million he spent fortifying the 2020 election. Musk's involvement with Twitter could disrupt the warm and fuzzy narrative painted in Time magazine about the secret bipartisan campaign that saved the 2020 election. Someone could snitch. In order to save the establishment, Parag Agarwal, Twitter's zealot CEO, might be willing to off himself, climb into a bathtub and slit his wrist like Frank Pantangeli in The Godfather 2. You guys remember that. But Jack Dorsey, one of Twitter's founders and a member of the board, sounds like a man looking for witness protection. Dorsey spent the weekend working on his Salvatore Bompensero impersonation. You guys remember Sal. He was an infamous character on the TV show The Sopranos. Everyone called him Big Pussy. He was one of Tony Soprano's best friends from childhood. He was a rat and a snitch. Dorsey might be Twitter's Big Pussy. In a response to a Twitter user complaining about Twitter's board, Dorsey tweeted, it's consistently been the dysfunction of the company. When another user tweeted that good boards don't create good companies, but a bad board will kill a company every time, Dorsey responded with big facts. When a user asked if Dorsey is allowed to talk in such a transparent manner, Dorsey stated flatly, no. Dorsey is off the Twitter reservation. Yeah, he signed on for the poison pill, but he's off the reservation. He resigned as CEO in November. His term on the board ends sometime this year. He's friends with Elon Musk. Dorsey has joined the Must Twitter Great Again movement. Dorsey is an insurrectionist. In my view, he's really a traitor with remorse. Three years ago, during a three-hour podcast interview with Joe Rogan, Dorsey and one of his top underlings, Baeja, Gaddy, I believe, acknowledged that Twitter's algorithms were designed to amplify the voices and impact of groups Twitter deemed marginalized. Fang, F-A-A-F-A-A-N-G, and its Alphabet Mafia are located in Northern California in the Pacific Northwest. Those areas believe the most marginalized people on the planet are lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, intersex, asexual, and the silent P, pedophiles. Their voices have been amplified in corporate media to the point that no other voices can be heard as clearly. 
Twitter was the primary tool used to normalize lesbian, gay, and bisexual behavior. It is now in the process of normalizing transgenderism. Estimates are that 1.4 million Americans identify as transgender. That's 0.4% of America's population. Not 4%, 0.4% of America's population. We are dramatically changing American cultural norms and socially outlawing biblical Christian worldviews to please 0.4% of the American population. We've normalized gluttony in this country, but you can still speak against it and remain in solid standing on your job. That is not true for many Americans as it relates to sins of sexuality and gender. There is immense pressure to change your values or risk punishment from the alphabet mafia. The Twitter Elon Musk says he wants to create values free speech above hurt feelings and culture policing lynch mobs. Musk's version of Twitter would adhere to the principles spelled out in the US Constitution, not the principles written and rewritten in Silicon Valley. If Musk is successful, Fang may soon regret sicking its dogs on Donald Trump. The silencing of Trump and the sabotage of Parler awaken the masses to the corruption and true agenda of the alphabet mafia. They're not promoting fairness, equality, and a higher form of democracy. They're making offers people can't refuse in pursuit of authoritarian rulership and a new world order. On Tuesday's show, <laughs> no cap, guys, but uh, Colin Kaepernick's back in the news again. He recently gave an interview with the guys at the I Am Athlete podcast, and he talked about how he wanted to continue playing in the NFL. I mean, um, I think we used to have a phrase for this called, uh, well, no crap there, Margo. <laughs> you got to hear what Jason has to say about this. It's one for the ages. Cap sat down for a seven, eight minute interview with the guys from I Am Athlete, Brandon Marshall, Chad Johnson, and I believe Pac-Man Jones was the third guy in the ring this time. They went down to Florida where Kaepernick's working out and it looked like Cap did a little workout and then they went into the stands and taped a seven minute softball interview with Cap. And, and I don't say that in any way to disparage uh, Brandon Marshall, Chad Johnson, or Pac-Man Jones. They're athletes, they're not journalists. Uh, they, they provide other athletes a platform to say what, what they think. They're not there to challenge. They're not uh, 1980, 60 minutes or anything. Uh, they're former athletes that like to get in a group and, and chop it up. And that's what they did with Kaepernick for seven minutes. And everyone's talking about, oh, Cap's willing to be a backup quarterback. Oh, my God. Kaepernick's willing to be a backup quarterback. The NFL has no excuse. He's exposing the NFL. I think we have a clip uh, or two or it, play the clips of Kaepernick uh, talking to these guys, and then I'll have some reaction. Tony, when the opportunity presents itself, I'm not a scout, but I don't need to be a scout because I know what it should look like. <laughs> I know what it should look like. Based on what I saw the past two days, but being able to see for myself in flesh, give me a better understanding, ain't no way in hell 
he ain't signed nowhere. Because ain't nothing like that. They're tears, again. Right, right. Yeah, that's yeah, not yeah. signed. Remember Carmelo Anthony NBA? Can Carmelo Anthony go from being Carmelo Anthony and being coming off the bench? Can he take league minimum, right? Are you willing to be, do what Carmelo Anthony did if an opportunity presented itself today and they said, we want to bring you in as the backup? Would you take that? Yeah. You'll take that. If an opportunity- I, I know I have to find my way back in. Okay. So, yeah, if I have to come in as a backup, that's fine. But that's not where I'm, that's not where I'm staying. And when I prove that I'm a starter, I want to be able to step on the field as such. I just need that opportunity right. to walk through the door. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, to your point, what you saw out here, that's five years of training behind the scenes to make sure I'm ready and stay ready at the highest level. You don't do that if you don't, if you don't have a passion and you don't believe you're gonna find, find a way on that field. I love your personality right now. Like, why you been keeping so low key, bro? Like, we, this is what the people need to see, bro. In part, it was a response to, to the situation I was in. You know, the, the narrative was out, that was out there was, oh, you know, it's gonna be a media circus. It's gonna be all of that. What else comes with him? It's like, okay, well, I'll be quiet. I'll do all my work behind the scenes. I'll be prepared. And we're gonna continue to reach out to every team for a workout. But as far as what's been done publicly, you said it. I don't really do interviews. <laughs> I haven't sat down like this with anybody. Why I've been low key is to address the issue that's been raised. And it's like, well, okay, that obviously isn't the issue, so we'll make it public that I can play right. and build that, build that narrative that way. More than anything, we're just looking for a chance to walk through a door. I'll handle the rest from there. So <clears throat> let's, let's start at the very beginning. And again, this isn't criticism of the athletes doing the conversation. I hate to call it an interview. It's more of a conversation, guys chopping it up. Uh, but Brandon Marshall compared Colin Kaepernick to Carmelo, Carmelo Anthony. Carmelo Anthony is a first ballot NBA Hall of Fame player. Probably, let me go check. I don't, I don't even have to, we don't have to speculate. I'm a, we're going to find out how many All-Star games Carmelo Anthony played in. Uh, and, and before I get to how many Carmelo played in, uh, Colin Kaepernick never played in a Pro Bowl, never made a Pro Bowl team. Uh, Carmelo, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, twelve 10, 11, 12, NBA All-Star games. Uh, led the league in scoring in 2013. Uh, career average of 22.5. Uh, won an NCAA championship or played for one. Did they win? They won, yeah. 2000, did they beat Kansas? Because I remember, Kansas was probably in that Final Four because I remember yes. being there. Uh, yeah, and so Carmelo Anthony, and I'm not a huge Carmelo Anthony guy. But that's an NBA legend. That, that, that's a guy, let's go. Let me go check because all this information is so readily available. He probably, you know, let's see, MB, MVP shares. He finished third in MVP voting in 2012 and 2013, the year he led the league in scoring. Uh, three, four years before that, he finished sixth in MVP voting. You think Colin Kaepernick was ever in the top 30? in MVP voting in the, in the National Football League. 
Colin Kaepernick was an NFL quarterback who showed flashes of great potential and had a good run and quarterback the team to the Super Bowl. But he was never elite. And so, man, you think you can do what Carmelo Anthony did? What, put together a Hall of Fame career, miss half a season or maybe a full season, and then get back in the league and be a contributor off the bench? That's not Colin Kaepernick. His teams stunk in 2016. He's a one-dimensional quarterback who has sat out for five straight years. Carmelo Anthony didn't sit out for five straight years. And so if Kaepernick is serious about getting back into the NFL, He's not looking for someone to bring me in as a backup. When you sit for five years and you've had his career, your cutback trail starts in the USFL, the Canadian Football League. It's not about, oh, he's willing to be a backup quarterback. No. He has to show he's willing to play football. Everybody wants to play in the NFL. There's two camera guys sitting right here that I don't think Corey played football in high school. Christian, I'm not sure if you played football in high school. He did not. Uh, I think y'all would like to play in the NFL. But what are you willing to do to make it happen? Not much. Running this camera won't get you there. Sitting around chopping it up with Pac-Man Jones, Brandon Marshall, and Chad Johnson, and going through seven-on-seven drills won't get you there. What people don't believe, yes, he wants to play in the NFL. Everybody does. Does he want to play football? That's the difference. On Wednesday uh, show, uh, Jason kicks it off by calling out the mainstream left media for all of their personal attacks on the libs of TikTok. Uh, He also talks about discussing the secular values that have ultimately been failed by this whole Kaepernick era. Colin Kaepernick's sense of entitlement is a byproduct of America's embrace of secular values. Entitlement is the antithesis of gratitude, the spirit of thankfulness promoted by traditional religious faith. Christians believe Jesus died on the cross so that we don't have to. Kaepernick, the former NFL quarterback, has spent the last six years advancing the idea that NFL ownership crucified and banished him for protesting white supremacy. Based on his alleged crucifixion, he has developed a religious following that includes fervent disciples. Earlier this week on their I Am Athlete podcast, former NFL stars Brandon Marshall, Chad Johnson, and Pac-Man Jones sat at Kaepernick's feet, sought his wisdom, and then preached 
the gospel of cap. The gospel of cap says the NFL owes the quarterback a job. His career must be resurrected to save the souls of racist league owners. Cap is the chosen one. The salvation of his career is critical for the salvation of mankind. The gospel of cap is consistent with the Bible of secular values popular in America today. As America has embraced secularism, the spirit of the age rejects gratitude and makes the idols of narcissists who nail themselves to crosses. Kaepernick is not the only self-appointed chosen one. His mindset of entitlement is pervasive. Nearly everyone with a social media platform believes they're on and they're an undiscovered God, or they believe they're the debt collector for their idol. An idol is anyone or anything viewed as worthy of blind worship, admiration, or devotion. America is sick with idolatry. The debt Christians believe we owe Jesus has been transferred to the LGBTQ, feminists, transgender, and people of color. Under the guise of seeking social justice, many religious leaders have surrendered to race idolatry, LGBTQ idolatry, the idolatry of women. Idolatry is often referred to by code names such as diversity, inclusion, equity, the matriarchy. The popular Twitter feed, Libs of TikTok, is in the crosshairs of the Washington Post and the secular movement because it exposes the depravity of LGBTQ idolaters. Libs of TikTok post videos of LGBTQ teachers explaining the necessity of teaching LGBT sexuality and transgenderism to young children. Tuesday, the Washington Post published a story revealing the identity of the woman who runs Libs of TikTok. The purpose of the story was to intimidate and silence the woman. Libs of TikTok has been highly effective at alerting parents to the gender and sexuality grooming transpiring inside classrooms. Parents are responsible for grooming and educating their children about sex and gender, not school teachers. Let's play a clip here of some of the libs of TikTok videos that have gotten them in trouble. I, I think we have a little collage of, of, of videos that libs of TikTok puts out. One of the things that teachers always do at back to school night and meet the teacher and things like that is they like send home this cute little like meet the teacher thing where it has like a little bio about us some of our favorite stuff just so that you know who we are how do i do that next year do i lie and mm -hmm. not talk about my marriage do i pretend i'm single do I invalidate my spouse's stance as a trans femme person? Ready, when they've been exposed to information, they're ready to learn about it, whether you think they are or not. And the research says that there is no age too young to talk about pretty much anything. If they know about it, they're ready to learn about it, right? So there is no, you know, what we think is always age appropriate. It is if they don't know about it. That I don't care what the government tells me to do. 
I am going to do what I think is best for the health and safety, and that includes mental health and safety, and emotional health and safety of my kids. I will never let any child come through my classroom feeling unloved or ashamed for who they are. Um, you know, like the LGBT uh, promotional, like uh, this is a safe community kind of stuff, the rainbow stuff all up in my room. And I told them, I'm like, if you look around the room, that should give you an answer to your question. So I did officially tell them. Um, they, of course, went berserk. So instead of teaching social studies today, um, they just asked me a whole bunch of questions about being gay. So I think it was pretty well. Instead of teaching social studies today, which back in my day, that's a, what they called history, he taught, they just had a bunch of questions about him being gay. And, and, and you wonder why parents have a problem. People are coming into classrooms thinking they need to talk about their own personal lives and oh, there's so much to learn from me and my personal life. This is the narcissism that is found within this idolatry of gender, of sexuality. That a teacher thinks, you know what, the best use of my kid's time is to hold a discussion about me and my personal life and being gay. And so, again, now I was a cut up in class. If a teacher uh, came to me and, and offered up, and we're having a classroom discussion about being gay, what would have come out of my mouth being the classroom cutout, cut up that I was. Hey, is that like having a gerbil in your rear end? That's the kind of question I would have asked. And somehow we think this is what an adult needs to be holding class with a bunch of kids. He, and rather than teach US history, rather than teach arithmetic, rather than teach English, this man wants to hold a conversation about his personal sexual preference, identity, life with a bunch of kids that aren't his? And you wonder why people are upset and think these people have an issue? And, and this is why Libs of TikTok is allowing these people to hang themselves. And so the Washington Post wants to hang libs of TikTok. I guess they believe in an eye for an eye. Christian ministers, they're responsible for preaching the gospel as spelled out in the Bible. Unfortunately, many members, many ministers have surrendered to the idolatry of race. Their sermons analogize the actions of Jesus to Barack Obama, Donald Trump, Katanji Brown-Jackson, or even Colin Kaepernick. Kaepernick's delusion isn't difficult to understand. Idolatry breeds entitlement. I wanna stop here and just play you a couple of clips from ministers practicing racial idolatry. And there's a, a Twitter feed I follow called Woke Preacher Clips that's just filled with ministers in the pulpit or in other places 
uh, preaching idolatry, racial idolatry, social justice idolatry, LGBT inclusiveness, all, none of it's biblically sound, but here's just a small taste. They hate us, but they love being like us. I'm gonna walk heavy. That, that, that now, that, that is popular to get full of lips. Yeah, yeah. And you like how sisters look from the front and back now. Because you're going to pay money to get what you can't grow in-house. That what your mama and daddy can't give you, the doctor can give you. I'ma walk, I'ma walk, I'ma walk. That, that you like our brown skin, you like our big lips, you like them wide hips, you like that sunshine from behind, that because you can't have it naturally, you got to go pay somebody to get what the Lord blessed us with. My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Ain't that something? Did you get that? He just murdered his brother, and God now has given his judgment, and he's whining about his judgment. He's complaining the punishment is too much. He wants a light sentence. He's whining that he's been driven from the face of God, but he wasn't living quorum Deo before the face of God. He's worried that someone might do to him what he has just finished doing to Abel. He's not repentant, he's self-pitying. Listen to me, if you listen to the conversations around racial injustice today, you will hear the voice of Cain. You will hear people who oppose racial injustice saying, the remedy is way greater than I can bear. How many times you hear that in a conversation about reparations? Oh, that's going to cost too much. You hear people say, we, we can't fix this problem or, or that problem because it's, it's too impractical. And on and on it goes. Beloved, it's just the echo of Cain's voice. It's just the echo of a brother refusing to care for the murdered in the streets. You wonder why Cap feels entitled? Look at the culture that he's baked in. Look at what ministers are preaching, this sense of entitlement. This man, the, the last minister, is basically saying he is God and others are God and they've decided what the punishment is for crimes that were committed 100 years ago, 50 years ago, 70 years ago, 150 years ago. Reparations, we're owed this, we're entitled to this. Anybody that's against repar reparations, they're basically Cain from the Bible. It's the voice of Cain. We've decided what we're owed, and if you don't give it to us, you're Cain from the Bible. We wonder why Cap feels entitled. The culture of entitlement 
fuels Kaepernick's lack of self-awareness. He's completely oblivious that his entitled attitude is the primary reason he hasn't worked in the NFL in the past five seasons. Let me connect the dots for you. What I'm arguing is Kaepernick's delusion and his lack of success in the NFL is because of his bad attitude and his sense of entitlement. Many of you that sit at home complaining and feeling entitled, it's your attitude that explains your lack of success in America. It feels good to blame it on the man, the system, systemic racism, rather than to look in the mirror and say, do I have the right attitude? Racism did not undercut Kaepernick's career. Had Kaepernick embraced a spirit of gratitude, he might have reached all of his NFL aspirations. He certainly would still be employed in the league. NFL ownership is not at the root of Kaepernick's problems. He can't let go of the bitterness he feels about being abandoned by his biological father and mother. His mother gave gave him up for adoption. His father has never been identified. That's a very difficult scar for any individual to overcome. A Christian spirit of gratitude would compel Kaepernick to focus on the blessing of his adoptive parents, the Kaepernicks. Rather than believing the world wronged him, Kaepernick would believe the world blessed him with two parents who overlooked their race overlooked the differences in their race and unconditionally loved a child who was not theirs by birth. That is not Kaepernick's mindset. You could see his lack of gratitude in the way he allowed Netflix to portray his parents in the ridiculous movie about his upbringing. In the movie Colin in Black and White, Kaepernick portrayed his parents and the NFL as racist. He analogized the NFL to a slave plantation, and he insinuated that his parents did not want him to date black women. Here's a little clip of, of Kaepernick comparing the NFL to slavery. Before they put you on the field, teams poke, prod, and examine you, searching for any defect that might affect your performance. No boundary respected. No dignity left intact. Come on, boy, hurry up. Look at that shape there. Look at this. You could legitimately argue that no one has done more for Colin Kaepernick than his parents in the NFL. His attitude suggests that neither his parents nor the NFL have done enough for him. Colin Kaepernick is the embodiment of America's secular values. He's clueless and entitled. On Thursday's show, Jason talks about the New York Times editor that was just made his Zoolander debut. Jason puts him on blast and he blasts the hypocrisy of the far left and talking about just this flamboyant editor and how he represents everything that they allegedly seem to hate. Listen to this one. 
How many of you have seen the movie Zoolander? Uh, Zoolander was a, a Ben Stiller movie uh, about basic male models, and and there, Ben Stiller was the lead character. Derek Zoolander. He was three-time male model of the year, and and the, the movie's kind of homoerotic or whatever. That's part of the humor of the movie. I think the movie came out in 2001 uh, when you could still do that type of humor. You probably couldn't do Zoolander uh, now. Uh, but uh, Derek Zoolander was actually used as a double agent, a spy, being brainwashed, I think, to kill, if I remember right, the prime minister of Malaysia. Yeah, I, I bring up Zoolander and, <laughs> and Ben Stiller in that movie because have you seen the picture of the editor of the New York Times? The new executive editor of the New York Times. His name is Joseph Kahn. He's the son of one of the co-founders of Staples. Uh, he's 57 years old. He's, as you can see from the picture there, he's a white male. Uh, He's what they call, I think, and again, I'm not up on all these new updated terms, but I think he's cisgender. Uh, he's married uh, to a woman from China, I believe, Shannon Wu, I think is her name. Uh, he, he made his name uh, reporting in China for years, first for the Dallas Morning News, then I think for the Wall Street Journal, and then for the New York Times. He's been at the New York Times for a while, and he has ascended to the throne of the New York Times. And whoever the editor of the New York Times is, is a big deal in the corporate media. The New York Times is allegedly the paper of record. It takes itself very, very seriously. Uh, as the watchdogs of America, allegedly. And he's replacing uh, Dean Baquette, I believe is his name. Uh, I think Dean is half black or he passes as black. And so the New York Times has had a black editor for the last five, six, seven years. Uh, and now they have a privileged heir to billions of dollars Ivy League educated globalist who's lived in China uh, for a significant part of his adult life to the point he married a woman from China. Uh, and so I think this whole photo display thing that we saw in New York Magazine and he's profiled and, and if we, yeah, let's circle back to, <laughs> to that image. They got this dude shoes off, uh, spread out on the floor with the newspaper like he's some sort of Instagram model with a come hither look. And I think they're doing this because they want to distract. And again, the New York Magazine isn't, that's a different op operation than the New York Times, but they're doing this to distract from the fact that the New York Times, the protectors of diversity, inclusion, and equity, the most diverse newspaper in the world, and uh, you know the, the, the creators of the 1619 Project, and, and they're all about affirmative action and a quota system. Huh, 
2022, they replace a black guy with one of the most white privileged people in the world. This guy was born into billions. His dad started Staples, the office supply chain. This guy, this guy, according to the New York Magazine, and, and I think they talked to Gay Talese, the, the journalist forever, he says that Joe Kahn is worth more money than the owners of the New York Times. That's who they chose in 2022, uh, just two years after uh, the tragic death of that great American icon and hero and social justice activist, uh, George Floyd. Uh, just two years after the death of St. George Floyd, the New York Times is going to be led by a heterosexual white man born into billions of dollars, who's a globalist who has lived abroad for a significant portion of his adult life. This is Zoolander too. They got an Instagram model who in my view, given all the time he spent in China, he got the job because our, the America's newspaper of record is more concerned about China and making sure our coverage of China and China's approach to life is fair and balanced and equitable. America's news, and again, this is what uh, many of us have a problem with corporate media. It's not, and particularly corporate elite media, like the New York Times. They could care less, they couldn't care less about the average American working person. What does Joe Kahn have in common with a factory worker in Milwaukee? A coal miner in Pittsburgh? A small business owner in Indianapolis? the mailman in Iowa, the construction worker in Idaho, the barbecue, uh, barbecue restaurant owner in Texas. This guy was born into incredible wealth, sent to a private school as a kid, educated at the elite Ivy League universities that America has, then shipped off to China to cover the world from a Chinese perspective. What does he have in common with anybody, with 99.9% .9 of the people here in America? Nothing and they want to distract from that, their detachment from America. They just put a global elitist, privileged white man in charge of the New York Times. Now they'll rail against white privilege and white men every day of the week, but they won't tell you that when it 
came time for them to pick a leader, that's exactly who they chose. And in order to distract from that and get everyone talking, hey, uh, Joe, we need you to pose uh, for this picture. Have you seen the movie Zoolander? Yeah, we, we want to pose you like you're one of these supermodels from Zoolander. Have you seen that, Joe? We want you to be Derek Zoolander. We want you to be Ben Stiller. This again, this is one of the most and I watched the movie this morning. I was somewhat unfamiliar with it. So I watched it this morning to familiarize myself. There couldn't be a more homoerotic movie than Zoolander. It's a comedy. And so they pose up the editor of the New York Times to distract you from the fact. Look who's running the New York Times. This is fascinating. And it speaks to where the global elites want to take this country. They don't care about America. America's newspaper of record hired someone whose career has been defined by China, not his coverage of America. They hired a global citizen to run America's newspaper of record. On Thursday's show, Jason talks about the New York Times editor that was just made his Zoolander debut. Jason puts him on blast, and he blasts the hypocrisy of the far left and talking about just this flamboyant editor and how he represents everything that they allegedly seem to hate. Listen to this one. The left, the left needs Donald Trump more than we do. That's the takeaway from the rapid and shocking collapse of CNN Plus, the stillborn streaming service Cable News Network birthed three weeks ago and pronounced dead on Thursday. Donald Trump is the sun that fuels the left. He is the source of their energy, the God they worship, the justification for their retention of power, the wind beneath their wings. The left needs President Trump far more than we do. Let me define my use of the word we. It represents those of us who are grateful to live in the freest, most fair and successful country on the planet. It represents those of us who recognize that our founding documents, the U.S. Constitution and Declaration of Independence, were biblically inspired and have been the force rooting out the unfairness of man's nature. My use of the word we, in this instance, isn't intended to be politically partisan. It does not connote the political right. It signifies people in their right minds, people who are rational, objective, and believers in truth. Those people, we, we no longer need Donald Trump. That is not stated to denigrate and or criticize America's 45th president. It's stated to convey how far we've come and what he taught us. There was a clear, there was clearly a time, even if some of us failed to recognize it, that we desperately needed President Trump. We needed him to open our eyes to the depth and pervasiveness of America's political corruption. We needed him to expose corporate media's hostility towards 
the average American. We needed him to inspire us to stand up to the establishment. Let me make a movie analogy. You guys know I'm fond of making movie analogies. I'm gonna tell you exactly who Donald Trump was. He was Robin Williams in the movie Dead Poets Society. The eccentric professor shouting carpe diem to teenagers who couldn't resist the force of his personality. The movie climaxed when Robin Williams' character, Professor John Keating, was wrongfully blamed for the suicide of one of his students, Neil Perry. Perry's parents forced the school to fire Keating, devastating the flock of boys inspired by Keating's teachings. The boys staged an impromptu classroom insurrection, shouting, oh, captain, my captain, when Keating briefly returned to the class to collect his belongings. Here's the iconic clip for you young people. I said leave, Mr. Keating. Mr. Anderson. Mm. One of the great scenes in movie history. That movie came out in 1989. Donald Trump is the star of Dim's, or I'm sorry, Dead Dim's Society. His final lesson focused on election integrity. It climaxed on January 6th when the establishment assassinated Ashley Babbitt for shouting, oh, captain, my captain, inside the Capitol. The establishment blames Trump for Babbitt's death. The truth is, corrupt politicians put Babbitt in harm's way and an inept cop acted incompetently. My point is, we have graduated from Welton Academy, the fictional prep school in Dead Poets Society. Keating taught his students well. He sent arrows into the world. He's, his students no longer needed him. They knew how to seize the day. That's where we are with Donald Trump. We know what to do. The left doesn't. The left is collapsing now that it is being forced to live without orbiting around Trump, the source of its power. Yesterday, we had Joe Concha on the show. Joe made the point everybody profited from the ratings and the clicks with the anti-Trump vitriol. And now that Trump is gone, everybody's struggling. Everybody on the left. CNN Plus folded. Netflix is hemorrhaging subscribers. Spotify declined to renew its deal with the Obamas. MSNBC's Rachel Maddow suddenly only wants to host her show once a week. Comedian Bill Maher now regularly cracks just as many jokes on liberals as conservatives. Jack Dorsey gave up his Twitter CEO chair and is, the, and is a critic of the Twitter board and claims CNN was staging conflict in Ferguson, Missouri during the Michael Brown controversy. When the left has to actually defend its agenda rather than just shout Trump, its insanity takes center stage. Disney is insane. The California-based company wants to dictate political policy in Florida. The Sunshine State enacted a law 
prohibiting teachers from teaching sexuality and gender to kindergartners through third grade. It's a very rational law. It empowers parents, leaving them as the primary groomers of their kids. Disney joined the leftists fighting the law and the empowerment of parents. Disney and the left want public school teachers to groom the sexuality and gender of five-year-olds. The absence of Trump from the White House makes the left's agenda the star of the reality show corporate media broadcast daily. The show is an absolute train wreck. It's satanic. The left's defund the police sitcom has led to a dramatic uptick, uptick in crime and violence. It has now turned extreme leftists against their political allies. New York City Mayor Eric Adams is engaged in a feud with Black Lives Matter. Adams has recently criticized BLM for ignoring the deaths of black people not killed by police. Hank Newsom, the head of BLM New York, called Adams, who is black, a white man in blackface. He did this yesterday on Fox News. Watch for yourself. The subject is African-Americans. I would also argue white lives matter too. Everybody's life matters mm -hmm. here. Um, what, what the mayor contends though is that the same reaction is not given. What would you say to him? It was smooth the way you threw white lives matter in there. Our problem is when black lives are oppressed and don't receive justice, nobody cares, nothing happens. Something happens to a white person, the world moves, right? So um, let's get back to Eric Adams, this, this, this mayor who spews, who is a Democrat, but he spews conservative and Republican talking points. At the end of the day, we have a name for someone like this, and this is someone we call a coon. Right. Because of, he's a black man and he's a white man in blackface and a very conservative minded white man at that. So what we have is a man with hundreds of people on the city's payroll, billions of dollars in budget and 40,000 police officers. He has 10, 10, 10 victims in one night. The night before he had 16 shooting victims on a train and they say, what are you going to do about policing? And he says, what about BLM? Is America not smart enough to see him deflecting? We're smart enough to see when you're deflecting as well, Hank Newsom. And you're deflecting. The left is deflecting. The left desperately wants Donald Trump back in office. Now that they can't fight Trump, the left is fighting each other. The modern left isn't about building back better. It's about tearing down everything in sight. The left needs Donald Trump back in the White House more than we do. His existence on the political stage lets Democrats pretend they're a force for good. Without Trump, all the Democrats have left is climate change. Speculating about Mother Nature isn't nearly as profitable or interesting as calling Trump the next Adolf Hitler. I don't know if you caught this, but don't look up the Leonardo DiCaprio fronted climate change movie. It couldn't bail out Netflix. No one watched. Dead Dim Society is still America's number one movie. The left needs Donald Trump. On Friday's show, Jason talks about the fact that CNN Plus is dead. He talks about why it failed. And he talks about how it's just another casualty of the Donald Trump era. He puts a little interesting twist on it. I think he calls it 
the dead Democrat society. <laughs> Get it? Dead dim society. Oh, man, you got to listen to this. You'll love it. Check it out. The left, the left needs Donald Trump more than we do. That's the takeaway from the rapid and shocking collapse of CNN Plus, the stillborn streaming service Cable News Network birthed three weeks ago and pronounced dead on Thursday. Donald Trump is the sun that fuels the left. He is the source of their energy, the God they worship, the justification for their retention of power, the wind beneath their wings. The left needs President Trump far more than we do. Let me define my use of the word we. It represents those of us who are grateful to live in the freest, most fair and successful country on the planet. It represents those of us who recognize that our founding documents, the U.S. Constitution and Declaration of Independence, were biblically inspired and have been the force rooting out the unfairness of man's nature. My use of the word we, in this instance, isn't intended to be politically partisan. It does not connote the political right. It signifies people in their right minds, people who are rational, objective, and believers in truth. Those people, we, we no longer need Donald Trump. That is not stated to denigrate and or criticize America's 45th president. It's stated to convey how far we've come and what he taught us. There was a clear, there was clearly a time, even if some of us failed to recognize it, that we desperately needed President Trump. We needed him to open our eyes to the depth and pervasiveness of America's political corruption. We needed him to expose corporate media's hostility towards the average American. We needed him to inspire us to stand up to the establishment. Let me make a movie analogy. You guys know I'm fond of making movie analogies. I'm gonna tell you exactly who Donald Trump was. He was Robin Williams in the movie Dead Poet Society. The eccentric professor shouting carpe diem to teenagers who couldn't resist the force of his personality. The movie climaxed when Robin Williams' character, Professor John Keating, was wrongfully blamed for the suicide of one of his students, Neil Perry. Perry's parents forced the school to fire Keating, devastating the flock of boys inspired by Keating's teachings. The boys staged an impromptu classroom insurrection, shouting, oh, captain, my captain, when Keating briefly returned to the class to collect his belongings. Here's the iconic clip for you young people. I said leave, Mr. Keating. Well, Captain, my captain. Sit down, Mr. Anderson. Mm. One of the great scenes in movie history. That movie came out in 1989. Donald Trump is the star of Dim's, or I'm sorry, Dead Dim's Society. His final lesson focused on election integrity. It climaxed 
on January 6th when the establishment assassinated Ashley Babbitt for shouting, oh, captain, my captain, inside the Capitol. The establishment blames Trump for Babbitt's death. The truth is corrupt politicians put Babbitt in harm's way and an inept cop acted incompetently. My point is we have graduated from Welton Academy, the fictional prep school in Dead Poet Society. Keating taught his students well. He sent arrows into the world. He's, his students no longer needed him. They knew how to seize the day. That's where we are with Donald Trump. We know what to do. The left doesn't. The left is collapsing now that it is being forced to live without orbiting around Trump, the source of its power. Yesterday, we had Joe Concha on the show. Joe made the point everybody profited from the ratings and the clicks with the anti-Trump vitriol. And now that Trump is gone, everybody's struggling. Everybody on the left. CNN Plus folded. Netflix is hemorrhaging subscribers. Spotify declined to renew its deal with the Obamas. MSNBC's Rachel Maddow suddenly only wants to host her show once a week. Comedian Bill Maher now regularly cracks just as many jokes on liberals as conservatives. Jack Dorsey gave up his Twitter CEO chair and is, the, and is a critic of the Twitter board and claims CNN was staging conflict in Ferguson, Missouri during the Michael Brown controversy. When the left has to actually defend its agenda rather than just shout Trump, its insanity takes center stage. Disney is insane. The California-based company wants to dictate political policy in Florida. The Sunshine State enacted a law prohibiting teachers from teaching sexuality and gender to kindergartners through third grade. It's a very rational law. It empowers parents, leaving them as the primary groomers of their kids. Disney joined the leftists fighting the law and the empowerment of parents. Disney and the left want public school teachers to groom the sexuality and gender of five-year-olds. The absence of Trump from the White House makes the left's agenda the star of the reality show corporate media broadcast daily. The show is an absolute train wreck. It's satanic. The left's defund the police sitcom has led to a dramatic uptip, uptick in crime and violence. It has now turned extreme leftists against their political allies. New York City Mayor Eric Adams is engaged in a feud with Black Lives Matter. Adams has recently criticized BLM for ignoring the deaths of black people not killed by police. Hank Newsom, the head of BLM New York, called Adams, who is black, a white man in blackface. He did this yesterday on Fox News. Watch for yourself. The subject is African-Americans. I would also argue white lives matter too. Everybody's life matters mm -hmm. here. Um, what, what the mayor contends though is that the same reaction is not given. What would you say to him? It was smooth the way you threw white lives matter in there. Our problem is when black lives 
are oppressed and don't receive justice, nobody cares. Nothing happens. Something happens to a white person, the world moves, right? So um, let's get back to Eric Adams, this, this, this mayor who spews, who is a Democrat, but he spews conservative and Republican talking points. At the end of the day, we have a name for someone like this, and this is someone we call a coon. Right, because of Whoa. he's a black man and he's a white man in blackface and a very conservative-minded white man at that. So what we have is a man with hundreds of people on the city's payroll, billions of dollars in budget, and forty thousand police officers. He has. 10, 10, 10 victims in one night. The night before, he had 16 shooting victims on a train. And they say, what are you going to do about policing? And he says, what about BLM? Is America not smart enough to see him deflecting? We're smart enough to see when you're deflecting as well, Hank Newsom. And you're deflecting. The left is deflecting. The left desperately wants Donald Trump back in office. Now that they can't fight Trump, the left is fighting each other. The modern left isn't about building back better. It's about tearing down everything in sight. The left needs Donald Trump back in the White House more than we do. His existence on the political stage lets Democrats pretend they're a force for good. Without Trump, all the Democrats have left is climate change. Speculating about Mother Nature isn't nearly as profitable or interesting as calling Trump the next Adolf Hitler. I don't know if you caught this, but don't look up the Leonardo DiCaprio fronted climate change movie. It couldn't bail out Netflix. No one watched. Dead Dim Society is still America's number one movie. The left needs Donald Trump. Hey, like I told you, this is Uncle Jimmy. Hey, go to YouTube.com slash Jason Whitlock. Hit the likes. Hit the subscribes. Join the Fearless Army. Go get you some of that new Fearless Army swag gear. Hey, by the way, hit me. Follow me on Twitter, Uncle Jimmy Blaze. Hey, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for following. Hey, we'll see you next week. Love you like a playboy. Later.